0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, we live. we live. We live. Thank you for joining us on Locked On Hornets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and follow us on Twitter. At Lockdown Hornets, I'm on Twitter at Walker Mayo, and you can follow Nada on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. I'm going to be going solo today. Nada will be joining me back tomorrow. We should have a special guest joining us tomorrow and then even have another player evaluation even after that. So We're going to take a break, as we might do during the player evaluations and the player capsules that we release over the course of really the next month. We'll take a couple of breaks here and there, bring on some Hornets guests. I like what Nada said yesterday, Hornets famous guest that we're going to try to bring here on the podcast. So we can expect a guest tomorrow. Don't know if we have it confirmed yet, but I do think that's uh, what we should have in store tomorrow. As you heard me yesterday, played the spinning wheel of names game on the Internet that I just so happened to look up and decide that's how we were going to dictate the next Hornet that we were going to talk about because I don't want to go through all of the big names and then have the bad names or not the bad names, but the names that might not interest you nearly as much at the end of all of this. I decided to just go with some completely random process. So we already evaluated Terry Rozier. That was by design because I feel like he was the most interesting, uh, interesting case study of what everybody thought he did last year. When you talk about Terry Rozier, pretty polarizing dude when you look at some of the national pundits and what they think about him compared to what a lot of the Hornets people think and and even in Hornet circles they're pretty divisive on what they thought of Terry so I thought that would be a good one to lead off with but at the end of the episode we played the spinning wheel of names and Bismack Biombo's name is what the arrow landed on and so he is going to be the evaluation today I imagine Nada's not, as not Too mad that he missed out on this one. Maybe we can get his opinion tomorrow about what he thought about what Bismack Biombo did this season. And then uh, we'll, of course, have that evaluation after the guest that we have. So that's just a little bit of what's coming up this week. Let's go ahead and dive into what Bismack Biombo did. As I mentioned yesterday, we're not going to do the present, we're not going to do the past, the present, the future breakdowns in three segments. We're really just going to go. Stats based in the first segment, kind of by the numbers, and then narrative based in the second segment about what he brought, maybe that the stats don't necessarily point to. What does he do that's not in the box score? I know Doug Branson is... Uh, I know that he's twitching right now as he heard that and thinking about Cody Zeller, but let's go into what Bismack Biombo did. You look at his numbers, actually had some career highs in some areas. You look at what he did in the points per game category. It's someone that averaged seven and a half points per game. Now, if you would have told me coming into the season that Bismack Biyombo would have averaged the most points per game in his career by a point and a half I would have said that that wasn't going to happen. I would have said that, nope, that there's just no way that Bismack Biyombo is going to average more points per game in his career this season than he ever has in his career, I should say. And sure enough, the last time, he only averaged six points in his career one time, and that was in the first year with the Orlando Magic when he averaged six points per game Then he averaged seven and a half this season with the Hornets, which is crazy. Now let's go into some of the offensive numbers that he had. If we're going to divide this to offense and defense, let's go with the bad first. Because Bismack Biombo is not good offensively. I think everybody is pretty comfortable understanding this. We know the classic joke against Bismack Biombo is the fact that he has cinder blocks for hands. Dude just can't catch it. It's really odd. Like I don't know if there's another player in the league that has that kind of reputation offensively but he just can't catch the ball very well. That's something that we've come to know from Bismack Biombo going all the way back to his first stint here with the Charlotte Bobcats before they became the Charlotte Hornets. So he did average 7.5 points per game, but he only did so on 54% shooting, and he did that on 5.2 field goal attempts per game. Now, you might look at 54% shooting and think that that's not bad, and then you start to think of it from a big man. and yet coming from a big man to only shoot that to only shoot that percentage, it's pretty bad, especially when you think of that specific big man shooting the kind of shots that he does goes to show you how inefficient he was rolling to the rim, which is something it's it's one of the few things that he does offensively. Like when you're talking about Bismack Biombo's role scoring the basketball. It comes on dunks. It might come from offensive rebounds and some trash points. And it's going to come from him rolling to the rim. And that's basically about it. And all those shots should, should equate to something better than 54%. So it's not a guy that is very good offensively scoring the basketball whatsoever. It's not like you're throwing it to him in the post looking to facilitate. He is a good offensive rebounder. In fact, he had 2.3 offensive rebounds per game this season. That comes in just a tick below um, two seasons that He had that were better at two and a half with his last year in Charlotte than two point four his second year in Charlotte. So 2.3 offensive rebounds per game. Again, the third best season that he had in that co- uh, category in his career. Now you look at the rebounding percentage that he had this season. The rebounding percentage, it wasn't as good as what we had seen from him um, really throughout his entire career. Just to tick below what he did the last three seasons in Orlando, it was at 16.3%. The best he ever had was, was, 28, uh, was 20.8. So it's not like it was too terribly far off. The offensive rebounding percentage was actually the second best that he ever put up in his career, which would make sense given the average Uh, amount of offensive rebounds that he had per game now here's the thing that I think actually he did better offensively you look at his assist percentage it's the best by a lot that he's ever had his assist percentage was 7.8 The second best that he ever put up for one season in his career was 6.5 two years ago, his last season in Orlando. You look at the turnover percentage, it's actually significantly down. You look at the turnover percentage, and that might have been one of the more impressive improvements that he made this season. He had a 12.2% turnover percentage this year, and the second best that he ever put up was was 14.8, and that was last season in Charlotte, even with an increased usage percentage. So even if usage percentage doesn't matter, right? Like you're not looking at Bismack Biombo and his usage percentage and really factoring all that much into it, but his usage percentage did go up quite a bit. It's 16.8 this year compared to the second-best 14.9 that he had two years his last season in Orlando. And even his usage percentage going up, his turnover percentage goes down. So it's not like he's a guy that goes out there and gives the basketball to the other team. So I think offensively even if he wasn't good shooting the basketball. It's somebody that is going to put a good body on your defender so you can get around him and maybe roll to the basket. And when he does finish, I remember some games last year where he finished through some contact every once in a while. You have to look kind of hard at times. But there were some games where they were actually playing pretty well and Bismack Biombo, when you would look at who was playing the center spot, it wasn't Cody Zeller. It was Bismack Biombo. He was the guy that was actually playing pretty well in some of the times when you would find the Hornets actually charging back. And so we can get to some of the narrative-based stuff in the second segment. But the numbers would tell you that he did not turn over the ball nearly as much. He was facilitating a little bit more than he ever has. His offensive rebounding production was pretty good. And you look at... Um, you, you look at what he did defensively as we transitioned there. You know, I actually think that defensively it's someone that was pretty good this season. Now, the, the analytics are going to be bad for a lot of these Charlotte Hornets players, right? Like we talked a little bit about this with Terry Rozier yesterday, and that's why I thought John Hollinger – criticized Terry Rozier for his defensive numbers too much. I don't think Terry Rozier was as good as a lot of people were trying to make him out to be defensively. I actually don't think he was very good, but also I don't think he was as bad as some of the numbers might suggest because the Hornets weren't a good defensive team. You look at Bismack, he was a negative 0.7 in the defensive box plus minus and it was the second worst number that he put up in his career. Okay, granted that doesn't look good. I also think that you have to blame a lot for the hornets you know, when you're looking at bismack biombo playing with some other teams that have veterans on them that have defen- that have players that have been in the league long enough to understand what it takes defensively You know, you think about Bismack, he's not going to be playing with Cody Zeller a ton. So you're taking already one of the few veterans on this team out of the lineup. And then you're putting him out there with a Devontae Graham, who's only in a second year in the league. You're putting him with Malik Monk, who is not good defensively, even with the improvements that he made this year. Terry Rozier, who wasn't very good defensively this season. You put him out there as well with some other young guys like it would make sense to me. Why the defensive block? Uh, uh, excuse me, the defensive box plus-minus number would go down despite the eye test actually not telling you um, the same thing. Like when you would look at what Bismack did th- this season defensively, I don't look at that and think, man, he's got to have the second worst ever. DBPM that he's ever put up. No, in in fact, I wouldn't think that, even though that is the case. I just think that more has to do with the young guys that are around him on this roster because this team is just so damn young. The question is, was he good enough to bring back to the Charlotte Hornets after this was a player you might think you couldn't wait to get rid of because of that contract? But it's coming off of the books. And the way that he played, I think brought up a question in the minds of most people whether wait a minute did he actually play okay well enough to bring him back on a deal that is much much smaller we'll talk a little bit about that next in the second segment here of the lockdown hornets podcast this is locked on hornets so if you don't believe one. in the moon landing mm-hmm. then what would you say is the greatest human achievement i think the greatest achievement of all time and i think it's vince carter doing 360s clockwise <laughs> it's rather really than tough. counterclockwise I've tried it. it's really tough it's time for more of the locked on hornets podcast the second segment is going to give you what the biggest value that Bismack Biombo brings to the team. Where this is the segment and what is most important with Bismack. Because it's not really what he does on the court all that much as to why he is so important to this team or why he has any kind of importance to this team. It's all about the leadership quality. I think when you look at Bismack, it's someone that is going to go 110% Every single time he goes out there on the basketball court, you look at Bismack Biombo just as far as the kind of dude that he is. If you were to look at the advanced metrics on the personality of Bismack Biombo, they would be through the charts as, as corny as that sounds. Because what we see from his charitable efforts within the NBA, it, it, it goes to show you he goes just as above and beyond as any player in the NBA on that front. As well as just being a leader within that locker room, it was interesting to me in the player exit interviews. We heard from Devontae Graham, and we heard from some of these younger guys that is really mostly the makeup of this team. They looked to Bismack Biombo as a leader on this roster. And those guys were dwindling as the season even went on. You didn't have too many veterans to look to as leaders this year heading into this season with all of the youth. But Bismack Biombo was one of them. The other guys that were among them included Nick Patum, Marvin Williams, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and Cody Zeller. Okay, there's a few other veterans that uh, is on this squad. But let's think about how all those guys dwindled down. So Marvin Williams, surely, it's another fantastic leader on this roster. But Marvin Williams was granted a buyout. And so Marvin no longer being on this roster, granted a buyout, wants to go contend for a championship, what could be his final year in the league. Certainly, understandably so. Goes to Milwaukee and gets a little run up there. Hey, just play some defense and knock down some threes. That makes sense for Marvin and the Hornets. They granted him a buyout. MKG, I don't know how much of a vocal leader that he would have ever been anyway on the court. I think it's someone that you could watch and just look at how hard he works, the defensive intensity that he plays with that could have rubbed off on some of the younger players um, to lead by example, certainly. But MKG was a guy that is already coming in this season with a frustrated attitude I'm not even blaming him for that. You can be frustrated all you want. Um, but that's just the reality of what it was. We can all go back to the player introductory press conferences where he was asked the question, I believe Rick asked it, he was asked, what is your role? Has your role been communicated to you? And he said, no comment. And the question was asked to him about why he decided to opt in, and he said it was the best thing for his family. Like, that was the guy at the beginning of all of this with some of the player options that we had heading into last year. MKG was the guy that I thought might actually opt out, but he didn't. So getting back to the point, it's the fact that MKG was gone after a while. Marvin Williams was gone after a while. Nick Batum could be viewed as a leader, but it's also not a dude that was getting a ton of run this season. So Bismack was the guy that stepped up played 20 minutes per game, which is about what his career average is, went out there and played extremely hard, and it's what the players actually talked to when discussing a leader. He did not ask for a buyout. That's not a guy that asked to leave this team in order to go contend somewhere else or be in what maybe he viewed as a better situation. Maybe he viewed this as the better situation because he would get more playing time, but it's certainly not a better situation if you're wanting to win games. And Biz is absolutely a guy that you could see the Charlotte Hornets bring back on a vet minimum deal. Look, the contract is off of the books. So we understand that Bismack Biambo is not a guy that was ever worth $17 million. Like that's, of course, not even a part of the valuation. We've already moved on past that. But what kind of value did he bring to the team? Did the value equal to that of a veteran minimum contract? And I would tell you yes. I wouldn't mind if Bismack Biombo was a guy that stayed with this team on the vet minimum. And I'll tell you this. If the Hornets decide to draft one of these centers that could be there in the NBA draft, like an Anyika Okungwu or like a James Wiseman, I think it is important. To have a veteran at that specific position who also is going to understand why that younger player might get more minutes than them. That's valuable. Because you can get a veteran at that position that still will really want to play. And I'm not questioning Bismack's want to to get out there on the court. But I think Biz knows what it is. If he comes back on the vet minimum and you have James Wiseman or a Kung Wu on this team... I think that would be extremely valuable for whatever young guy they draft at the five to learn from Biz because the other players learned from Biz. They're telling you so. They're telling you in their play at exit interviews. Look, I'll I'll cape for Biz this season. Like we know what it we know what it is for Biz MacBiambo on the offensive end. He's not good. I think defensively he was fine. It's not like this big juggernaut of a a rim protector, even though I do think he was pretty good at protecting the rim this season. It's not like he's this big defensive juggernaut out there on the perimeter that can switch at a whole lot of positions. I get all of that, but the players are telling you how much they value his presence on this roster. Now imagine what a young center might tell you how much he values a veteran's presence at his specific position. That's why I loved Marvin Williams for Miles Bridges and P.J., kind of that switchable 3-4 type of guy. I thought he did wonders with those guys, and, and they looked to him for leadership. You know, give me Biz with a young center on this team. Not going to cost all that much money whatsoever. And I think Bismack played well enough to where it was someone that I didn't expect to get 20 minutes per game. I mean, if you come into this season, I think at the beginning of this year – My takes on the five position might have been Cody Zeller is going to get the run and then it'll probably be Billy Hernan Gomez. Even with his awful, awful uh, defensive play, what we've seen from him, I still thought Billy might be a guy that you see more minutes from just because the Hornets were shifting to youth so much. But it was Bismack because he was the one that even brought the most out of some of the youth at other positions. You know, understanding some of the defensive philosophies from a team standpoint. Give me uh, give me biz on the vet minimum. I'm cool with that. I think overall it was a season that, you know what, I'll call it a pleasant surprise. I did not expect to get the kind of contributions that we did from Mr. Bismack Biombo. We have one more segment to go here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. You are listening to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And that was also a connection of a connection because the new Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, looks like the guy trying to defuse the bomb at the elementary school in die hard with a vengeance, which I thought looked like John Hurd, a.k.a. Kevin McAllister's dad, a.k.a. Peter McAllister. I never would have got that. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Speaking of the youth on this team, I want to go to an ESPN article that was released with a a collection of all of the ESPN NBA analyst opinions on who would win the MVP, who would win Defensive Player of the Year, so on and so forth. And we would go down the list of all of the awards and basically the ESPN analysts would just vote who they would vote for for that specific award. So One Hornet was mentioned there and it's who you might uh, guess would be listed there. When it came to the Most Improved Player of the Year award. Devontae Graham actually finished third in the voting. Second was Brandon Ingram, and first was Bam Adebayo. Now, you might look at Devontae Graham and think this is somebody that should win the award, and I think he is deserving of some consideration. Even though it's so weird to argue on behalf of Most Improved Player, because there's so many different angles you can argue, Right. Like you could argue, well, Devontae Graham was really bad last year. He was worse than what Bam Adebayo was last year. He was worse than what Brandon Ingram was last year, and and, and that's just a weird argument. We're we're gonna give Devonte credit for being a worse player than what maybe Ingram and Adebayo were, even if they took another step into All Star form with both of those guys uh, exuding that kind of play. It's a weird it's a weird uh, award to argue on behalf of, but. If we're going to just kind of measure the gap and what a player was last season to what they were this year, I, I think that Bam Adebayo is somebody that has entered an entirely different realm. I, I think we liked Bam Adebayo last year, but this is somebody that even showcased a little bit of a different skill set that I don't think many people were talking about last season with the ability to kind of be a point forward. Like when I I remember Bam Adebayo coming out of Kentucky into the draft, I thought it was going to be some uber-athletic big man that was going to be a a defensive juggernaut that could move laterally, that could also protect the rim. He was going to be this crazy athlete, but it's, it's actually, he's showcased some touch around the rim. He, he looks like he has some moves in his arsenal. And he's a really good facilitator. And And maybe I wasn't paying attention enough at Kentucky, but that's just not anything that I kind of pegged him for. Like, you look at the numbers. In fact, I do think you look at some of the numbers that he had facilitating at Kentucky, it's one of the guys that's made the biggest improvements ever from a standpoint of him having just one assist or fewer at Kentucky to having, I think, something about like four or five a game this season. He improved so much in that one specific aspect. And then he entered a realm of where he's actually getting votes for defensive player of the year award. And he was was doing all of that on a team that actually has a shot to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, who knows what their ceiling is. But I do think at least their ceiling is a potential Eastern Conference Finals appearance. And he was a big part of that. So if Bam Adebayo wins Most Improved Player of the Year award, I can't say that I would get angry at that. And I thought Brandon Ingram really did a good job shining when he got a little bit more responsibility with the Pelicans this season. So I'm cool with either one of those guys getting it over Devontae and also, you know, just non-biased Walker trying to give this award out to the most improved player. I just think you're not punishing Devontae Graham for the second half of the season that he had. And the shooting numbers were just atrocious. As much as I like Devontae, you guys know I'm a fan of Devontae Graham. I think he probably was overall the best Hornet this season, even with that second half, uh, second half collapse that he had just shooting the ball so poorly. I think that the team was still better with him out there on the floor. This was still a team that I, I think Devontae Graham did a good job of facilitating. I, I think he's he was an excellent passer. Uh, defensively, he's not good, and I get that. But I just think the second half of the year should be penalized where he doesn't get this award over a Bam Adebayo who was really good all season long for a really good team and a Brandon Ingram who I I can't imagine I I guess I didn't look at the second half stats for him but I can't imagine he shot the ball as poorly as Devontae Graham did really in the second half of the year it was so bad after that Brooklyn Nets 40-point performance that Devontae had that really put him on the map and so I'm cool with Devontae not getting the MIP this year as much as I like Devontae and as much as I want him to take home some hardware. The only other Hornet that has a chance to take home some hardware this season, it's PJ Washington, who could be named to the first all-rookie team. It's going to be really close. He's a lock to make at least the second all-rookie team. It's going to be interesting to see if he actually makes the first all-rookie team. I saw ESPN put out this tweet of who would you vote for for rookie of the year? And John ja Morant ran the table with all of the ESPN NBA analysts picking. Nobody picked Zion to be cute or anything, but Zion was listed with the five that you would have to try to muster up to have a real chance or four to actually compete with Ja. And it was John ja Morant, Zion Williamson, Kendrick Clark, uh, or Kendrick Nunn, I should say, excuse me, uh, Brandon Clark. And I forget who it was, but it wasn't P.J. I think it was Terrence Davis. Those were the only guys that were listed. So it'll be interesting to see if that would be the five, because I think you have four locked in. What will be interesting to see who gets that fifth spot, and that's where P.J. Washington could come in. And I think he's got a great case. When you compare him to everybody else, I think he has a great case to maybe even take home some type of award or acknowledgement along with Devontae. Those are absolutely the two guys that have the best chance to do so. That'll do it for this edition of Locked On Hornets. We appreciate you joining us once again. Hopefully Nada. I think Nada will be joining me again tomorrow. Uh, Thanks again to you guys for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Hollinger and Duncan. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. We have a guest and then we'll have another player evaluation. I'm doing this again. (laughs) I forgot to do the. spinning wheel of names let me do that real quickly once again I have it up right here I'm going to press the wheel it's spinning it's spinning it's starting to slow down and Jalen McDaniels that's going to be our guy Jalen McDaniels so we get to go to a young pup the rookie last season from the second round out of San Diego State that's going to be our next guy at random so we'll have a guest tomorrow try to give you a Jalen McDaniels player evaluation on Thursday And uh, we'll finish up with another player evaluation, I would imagine, on Friday. Thanks again for joining us, as always. Thanks for supporting the show. We'll see you tomorrow.